all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I hope this podcast finds you well, friends. I'm recording this during the last few days of August, and that feels hard to believe. Most of you will be listening as we enter a new month, so happy September to you. Regardless, the season is shifting, and I don't know about you, but I can feel it. It reminds me of a beautiful post that my friend Natalie Witcher shared the other day on Instagram. It was a lovely picture of her backyard, but it was her words that really caught me. She said this, the sunrise is changing, moving to the south. The shadows are beginning to stretch longer. Things are beginning to look different. Seasons always change. Circumstances always change. But how you change with them is what matters. Along those same lines, you might have seen my post the other day on Instagram about how things change. And rolling with the changes is really what matters because God always has something for us in the change. Last weekend, I got word from my literary agent that my publisher had to make a very hard decision regarding my book release. As many of you know, it was supposed to release this November, but due to COVID and hurricanes and power outages, and you know all the craziness of 2020, (laughs) we don't even need to go there. It caused challenges on the printing and shipping front, apparently. So they were not confident that they could make the on-sale date of November 10th. So I told my patrons the other day that it feels like everything I taught in the book, I'm getting to live out yet again. (laughs) Entrusting God with this book down to the hour it releases, it really does free me, even though it's been hard. It's been painful. It doesn't change the fact that it's been painful, but it really does free me to ask the Lord, what does this free me to pursue in this season instead of a book release? What does He want me to receive and share during this change of plans? The new release date is going to be February 16th, 2021. When I told my patrons about the change, we have a little community where we chat together, and they left so many incredible notes and comments and prayers and scriptures. And they honestly brought up things that I hadn't even thought of yet because my heart was still a little bit in shock and honestly, as I said before, hurting a little bit. But I hadn't even realized the correlation that I talk a lot about winter in the book, the winter of the soul, if you will. There's even a chapter called Amaryllis Prayers, which if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know what that chapter is all about. Well, one sweet patron, Emily, said this, when I read about it, the book being pushed back, the first thing that came to mind was the Christmas Amaryllis. Instead of the book coming out in the fall, harvest time, it's going to come out during the days when winter seems to hang on. Christmas is past, and it's not yet spring. This might be very timely. Thank you, Emily, for that. I hadn't even thought of it at that point, but you're right. Another patron, Christy, quoted Proverbs thirteen twelve: Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled as a tree of life. And she said this, These are the first words that came to mind when I read your post. The Passion Translation says it this way, When hope's dream seems to drag on and on, the delay can be depressing. But when at last your dream comes true, life's sweetness will satisfy your soul. Your book is a hope and a dream and a longing and a calling. It's from God and to Him and for Him. Your faithfulness to complete your part and trust in God to complete the rest and use this unexpected timing for even greater good 
are both beautiful. Christy, this ministered to me so much. When hope's dream seems to drag on and on, I think a lot of us can relate to that right now. And the fact that you sent that is even deeper than you know. You used the word hope and dream there several times, and you couldn't have known that only hours before I posted the news to the little community of Patreon, I had gone to Tractor Supply and bought two baby ducklings with the idea that I was going to name them Hope and Dream. (laughs) It's kind of a long story, but for quite a while, and my friend Megan can testify to this, I've been wanting baby ducklings. But with the book release coming up, there was just extra work on the horizon, and I wanted to be responsible and not get myself in over my head with farm life now that I do have six chickens since quarantine. (laughs) And we don't have a pond, and I've always read that ducks are a huge mess, but after I got the news about the book release, I was so sad that I spoke fewer words for a few days, so much that Nathan kept checking in and saying, are you okay? Are you all right? And I was all right. I was just mainly contemplating, maybe a lot around the fact that this might be my duckling moment, and it turns out that it was. (laughs) So on the way over to the tractor supply, I started overanalyzing naming them Hope and Dream, because if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know that we have every critter known to man out here. So I started imagining, you know, my little Hope and Dream being carried off by a hawk or a fox, and I was like, you know, maybe I should just come up with something kind of silly. I mean, I knew that I wasn't going to know if they were boys or girls, so I was just going to need to think of something like, you know, pudding and pancake or biscuit and gravy. And on the way there, I was like, yeah, biscuit and gravy, that's so cute. I kind of wanted a little yellow one, and I knew they had a little black one, so I was like, biscuit and gravy, we'll do that. And it kind of stuck for the first 24 hours until I texted a picture of said ducklings to my very in tune with the Holy Spirit friend, Megan, who I mentioned before. And first of all, you have to know that Megan has been my biggest cheerleader since March to just move forward with the duckling plan, if that was in my heart to do. So when I sent her the picture of the duckling, she said this, my heart is all caught up in my throat. I can't believe you got ducks. I'm shocked, exclamation point. Biscuit and gravy, dot, 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 precious. And then she said this, I looked at them and thought, hope and dream. Well, then my heart went in my throat because I hadn't told anyone in the world that I was going to go to the feed store to buy two ducks and name them Hope and Dream. I'm not making this up. You kind of can't make this stuff up. It's so specific. Well, Megan came over to hold the baby ducks the other day, and it was also a time to catch up because we hadn't talked in a while. But we both discussed some things that we both felt sure that the Lord was doing in each of our lives And the theme was the same in both of our lives. There is something that the Lord is wanting us to receive in place of something that we either thought He was doing or that we had been busy pursuing. This is His kingdom way, isn't it? He uncovers the places we either didn't think to go or that we thought maybe we didn't have permission to go or we didn't give ourselves permission to go. It's like He clears the brush from a well-worn path one that we forgot about or have just neglected over time. My sweet friend Emily described it to me by text the other day that the Lord scrapes the dirt and distractions off of the top of a well. He unblocks the wellspring where our creativity is endless because we remember He's the wellspring. He's the living water. 
that we forget that we were made to uncover that well and to swim in it. As Megan was leaving the other morning, she and I stood there and watched a huge hawk making lazy circles in the sky. Sorry, I can't help it. I'm from Oklahoma, but that's the theme song from Oklahoma. Making lazy circles in the sky. Anyway, he was eerily close to the front porch where we had just been cuddling ducklings, and I'm sure he both heard them and saw them. (laughs) And she looked at me, and I looked at her, and we both kind of let out a nervous laugh. (laughs) I don't remember exactly what she said, but it was something to the effect of, okay, if something happens to these ducklings, you're going to be okay. (laughs) And I responded back, you're right. I ultimately have to release my hopes and dreams to God. I've got to be okay with Him holding on to them, releasing them, letting go, even as I speak now. Well, I'm sure there will be more duckling updates as we go. They're growing every day, and I'm trying to enjoy them while they're tiny. Um, But today I have a very special guest, but before I introduce her, I want to take a minute to introduce our Hebrew letter for this section of the acrostic today, as well as to read the next eight verses over us from Psalm 119. I've been amazed how each episode, and I've said this before, but it just seems that the letters somehow really do play into the theme that God has laid onto my heart each time, and this episode is no exception. Our Hebrew letter for today is the letter Lamed. Lamed is set apart because it's actually noticeably the tallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet and is the only one that rises above the baseline when it's written. So it's really easy to actually see it when you see a Hebrew word. You can see that letter Lamed rising above all the rest. In ancient pictograph, again, it was the language that God would have used to write the Ten Commandments with His finger, as in Deuteronomy 9. This letter Lamed would have been drawn into the shape of a shepherd's staff. It's clearly the shape of a crook that a shepherd uses to lead and prod his sheep. In fact, according to Jewish tradition, the original meaning of this letter Lamed was probably to prick, sting, incite, or goad. This points to how a shepherd prods his sheep to tend and to care for them and to protect them ultimately. The ancient pictograph staff also represented authority. The Hebrew word lamed comes from the root lamed, which is spelled a little different, meaning to learn or to teach. And this letter first occurs in the Bible in Deuteronomy 4, 1. And this is going to sound kind of familiar. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you. There's some familiar word words in there, isn't there? Statutes and rules. It reminds us of Psalm 119 and how serious God really is about us listening to Him in order to follow Him. I'm going to read our passage over us now. This is Psalm 119, verses 89 through 96. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad." 
It's interesting, the verses that had already stood out to me in this section of the psalm were verses 90 and 91. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. Well, kind of last minute, I got the opportunity to interview my friend Lisa Bevere. Lisa has a book that just released called Godmothers, Why You Need One, How to Be One. I've actually known about this book from quite a while ago because my friend Michelle took the cover photo of Lisa. And I remember Michelle telling me about the premise of the book, that everyone really does need a godmother. Not one that waves a wand and gives you an instant magical makeover, although that would be incredible, let's be honest, and very useful. (laughs) But she's talking about an older woman in the faith who comes around you and champions you, listens to you, helps lead you, and even prods you sometimes like a shepherd would his sheep. Well, she's also talking about us being that woman to younger women, being the woman even that we wish we had because I know that many of us don't have that older woman, and we long for it too. I love that Lisa dispels the idea that we need to be 89 in order to be a godmother. Instead, she's saying that a 20-year-old can be a godmother to a 15-year-old, and a 45-year-old to a 20-year-old, and so on and so on. So I want us to consider our text together and how this interview will fit. It's really beautiful. I love that our letter is all about the shepherd's crook, as I said, and that its meaning is to learn or to teach. I love the thought that we should all be doing both. If we're teaching, we should also be learning. And if we're learning, we should also be teaching. I can't help but think of Titus 2.3, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. That passage is all about not wasting our moments, but being present and us learning as the older women to be reverent in the way that we live, but so that we can teach what is good. I love that our passage talks about the faithfulness of God enduring to all generations. Psalm 145 and Psalm 78 both talk about one generation declaring the glorious deeds of the Lord to the next generation. I also love this, and we've talked about this before, that part of God's faithfulness to us is each other. We are each other's inheritance. His faithfulness extends through us to each other. I think that's so incredibly beautiful, and I think it happens both in our families of origin, but I also think it happens in the family of God. That's the reason why we were birthed and the reason why we are called to come together as the family of God. Well, back to our passage in Psalm 119, the rest of verse 90 says this, "'You have established the earth, and it stands fast.'" Even talking to Lisa during this interview, I was reminded of how much we need to listen intently to those who have gone before us in the faith, especially people who know the Word of God and whose lives testify that what God established is good and it still stands. Lisa and her husband, John Bevere, the founders of Messenger International, are these type of people. You might remember me talking about John Bevere several weeks ago and how God used him to speak over a group of us leaders one night this past June around the importance of living in the fear of the Lord in this age. Not having a spirit of fear, there's a difference, but rather living in the awe and wonder of who God is so much that you'd be terrified to live without Him. 
It was John who shared with us that the love of God is what keeps us from legalism, and it's the fear of God that keeps us from lawlessness. And we can't fully fear God in awe and wonder unless we love Him, nor can we fully love God unless we fear Him. I love the stand that John and Lisa have taken together in their ministry and the boldness that they carry, but it's also mixed with humility. I've read a few of Lisa's books, and I love her researcher heart, how she does dive deep into the Word of God, as well as helping us apply it practically, and then how she's willing to share the amazing stirrings of the Holy Spirit that she's personally experienced in her own life, and how all of those things just kind of mesh together in her writing and speaking. It's just really beautiful. Lisa has also lived this message. She's actually the birth mom to four grown sons, but anytime I've been with her, I've experienced her God-motherness, even in just her stopping for a moment to look me in the eye and just show interest in me and my girls. One time she raided her book table so that my girls could be lavished with her entire girls with swords line of books and accessories. I think they still have the little sword necklaces that she gave them that time. But I also have friends in the ministry, women my age, who write and speak and lead in some capacity, and they too have shared how Lisa has championed them and listened to them and cheered them on in many ways. Lisa has spent nearly three decades empowering women of all ages to find their identity and purpose, and this Godmother message is a huge part of that. This is said to be actually her most personal and powerful book yet, and I believe it. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with someone that you'd want to, for real, be your very own godmother. (laughs) Please welcome Mrs. Lisa Bevere. Well, I am so excited to get to have Lisa Bevere today. Lisa, welcome to the Glorious and the Mundane podcast. I love that title. It's amazing. Well, I'm so excited to get to talk to you today. We are across the miles this morning getting to connect. You're in Colorado, right? I am. I wish we could have seen each other in Nashville when I was there a while ago, but yeah, we are connected. I'm so glad to get to talk to you about this book. I've been hearing about it for quite a while, Godmothers, Why You Need One, How to Be One. I love that it said on my little bullet points here that you also, you tie in biblical women, but you also tie in some fairy tales. So (laughs) I'm super excited about that. (laughs) Well, you know, and that is an unusual combination, but, but here's, here's something super fascinating. Um, Cinderella. Okay. That's, that's the fairy tale we're going for there. Cinderella has the exact same story arc. It's a rise, fall, rise as the redemptive story. Mm -hmm. And so when they put Cinderella into artificial intelligence, it came out as the Christian redemptive story. Mm -hmm. We have a prince. He's looking for us. You know, we've risen, we've fallen, and then redempted, we rise again. And so I thought it was really fascinating that they are, it's what they're saying that there's close to 3,000 different versions of Cinderella. There is almost no culture that does not have the story of a young girl who goes through hardship and then the prince finds her. And it's mm-hmm. just this beautiful, uh, you know, reflection. And I wish I wish fairy godmothers are real, but they're not. Nobody's going to show up with a magic wand and wave it over your life. But I do believe that godmothers have this ability 
to see the hardship you are in and saying, guess what? This is going to weave something magnificent for you. I believe that Cinderella, with every good deed, she was weaving this gorgeous garment. And all the godmother did was reveal what she had already been creating with the courage and the kindness of her life. And and then we look at this whole idea of a glass slipper. And that is that something else. That is the only thing that didn't turn back to its original form. That was the confirmation that that night with the prince was real. And it was also her identifier for the prince to find her. And I love that it was unique to her. It only fit her. And I think each and every one of us have something unique that is God-breathed, that is an entrustment that our prince will use as our identifier. Oh, okay. I have... I seriously have chills. <laughs> it was so much chills. fun. Uh, do you, so the original Cinderella, this is beautiful, is from China. Oh. And she had a golden slipper. I go way, I go way deep. I, I, I research so much more than I should. But I, every single culture. And, you know, we look, yeah. at, we look at hardship and we think that's our enemy. Mm-hmm. But the stepmother, the evil stepmother, because there's beautiful, amazing stepmothers, but that evil stepmother was her anti-hero. She was the one who actually made Cinderella into who she was. And I think that we need to look at a generation and say, you know, you know, inside your heart that you were created to be a hero, but you have forgotten that heroes require a battle. And so we've got to get on the other side of this. Oh, that's incredible. It makes me so excited to actually get to read this. I are I love your research and I love when you you know all of your books you go way deep and all of that. So this is really fun and I'm excited. My um girls and I we probably watch the the live action Cinderella the that they created um a couple of years ago. Um we watch that at least twice a year and love it. And then I, there's a, a song in one of my lullabies. It's called Always Remember to Never Forget. And it reminds me, one of the lines says, um, every fairy tale you love, they've borrowed your story of a hero, of a maiden so, I can't even think of the lyrics now, <laughs> of a maiden so lovely and a hero so true. Um, so it's so true that like these, the fairy tales that we've grown up on and that go way deep, like you're saying, they're borrowing our story, this this epic story, the rise and the fall and the rise, like you're saying, and that just makes me excited. And I'm I'm seriously, I still have chills. <laughs> well, it's 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 every story has that's a good story has has a villain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has something bad, and I think it was Tolkien that said something about you know every story that we create is actually just an expression mm-hmm. of our hunger for the creator. Mm-hmm. And so this is the Cinderella dynamic was, was a fun one. And then I also felt like it had a warning for our generation. I feel that mm-hmm. God has given women this beautiful strength that men actually don't have. And one of the chapters in here was when fairy tales go awry, when the prince is no longer looking for us. God is the one who said, it's not good for man to be alone. He didn't say that men weren't good. He said in this position of alone, it's not good. And so God created woman as this beautiful answer 
to the not good of a man in isolation. And yet you and I see right now in our culture, men are starting to believe that they're better alone. They're living in their parents' basement. They're not getting married. They don't have dreams. They are so many addicted to pornography. And what we have to decide as women is, does that Genesis mandate of taking what is not good and making it so very good still, does it still, is it still part of our feminine DNA? Is that something that we are still entrusted with? Is that something we're still capable of? There's an incredible, uh, unusual verse in the book of Jeremiah. And, and if I was flipping through my book really fast, I could probably find it, but I can't. I'm just not good at finding things quickly where it says that God is going to do a new thing. Mm-hmm. And he says, a woman will encompass a man. And then another version says, a woman will encompass a warrior. And I went to all like N.T. Wright, all the commentaries, and each and every one of them said, this is, this is an enigma. We don't know what this is talking about, but here is what I am just dreaming. I felt like as I pondered on this, because I like to read a scripture and then I like to close my eyes and ask the Holy Spirit to paint it. And in the framework of my mind, I saw a warrior who had forgotten who he was, who was dejected, who was depressed. And I saw a woman come behind him put her arms around him and begin to speak into his ear, mm-hmm. reminding of who he was, reminding him that this is not a video game. This is real life mm-hmm. and that dragons are real. They're not mm-hmm. something just mythical. There is a very dark shadowed form attacking both male and female and male and female has always been woven as better together. It isn't just about marriage, but men have one type of strength and women have another type of strength. I believe we are the guardians of the heart, that we we can surround the men's hearts, we can be faithful with that, or we can wound them. And you know, a lot of our culture says women have risen and they've displaced the men. But I would actually challenge that. I would say that women rising is a good thing. We just have to choose to do good with it. And a lot of times our culture, as it rises, it says, hey, women have been oppressed by men for a really long time. It is our turn. We're going to push the men aside. And that would be akin to stomping our feet in glass slippers, which means we leave a trail of broken glass for the next generation to follow. Or we can say, you know what? I'm going to rise so I can lift, lift the sons, lift the daughters. And that, I guess, would be the whole purpose of a godmother because godmothers is an early church thing. It's not a Catholic church thing. It's not a fairy thing. It was a, it was a God-woven community family dynamic that when people got saved, they lost everything. They lost their parents. They lost their positions. They lost their finances and people would come alongside and say, you belong with us. And that's the importance, right, of this multi-generational connection that we ache for really as a generation because it really does, it's like the way forward is the way back. It's, it's taking us back to 
um, what was, how God created, what He put in place, what He has already um, set in place for us. And I think it takes us listening, but like you're saying, um, so much of this age is women are, we're going to rise and we're going to conquer. But I love it so much that, you know, God moms, God mothers, for us, part of that is listening and remembering and the way forward is the way back. It's those, the ancient paths really is what, mm-hmm. is what you're pointing to. And so it's, it's why we need to sit with um, the, the older woman and, and listen and, and let our hearts be drawn back to what God already set in place. And, um, you know, Lisa, every time I've been around you, probably in the last decade, I've, I've led worship and I've gotten to share the stage with you several times. And I've been the recipient of just this posture in your heart because anytime I've been with you, you've just taken... Even if it's just a moment, you know, for us to just um, catch up, you've you just have that that posture of of mothering, and I know it's um, and I even talk about this in my own book. It's that that heart is birthed in you when you start living as a daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, you've you've got to find that identity as God's daughter, and when you live in that place of being His daughter, it births in you uh, a, a spiritual mother's heart eventually, because that's what ultimately He's calling us to. But um, I would love to just hear um, how this this idea. I know that it's you know you've already given us some amazing framework with Cinderella and all that because you are research amazing. And but how is this sort of birthed in you to to write about this? Well. To be honest with you, Christy, this started by my own lack of one. Mm -hmm. So I was a young girl. I had become a Christian at 21. At 22, I was so desperate for an older woman to Mm -hmm. notice me, to teach me, to bless me. And, and, And when I say bless, it isn't just like, I endorse you. It's actually, baby girl, I'm gonna teach you how to make the tangible things of your life work together for good. And I, I remember I was, I was severely wounded by this woman that I really looked to. And when I went before God, he said, you know, because I was like, well, I'm just going to do this and I'm just going to do that. Mm-hmm. And God said, baby girl, if you start defending yourself now, you will have to do it for the rest of your life. He Mm -hmm. said, I'm going to have you humble yourself. Go to this woman. Ask her to pray for you. And and, and I just thought that was the worst idea ever. (laughs) And I'm like, why are you going to be kidding me? I don't want to pray for me. She's awful. And then in that moment, again, I I, I felt really broken. Mm -hmm. I I didn't get what I needed from my my birth mom, my mom who raised me, because she didn't get what she needed. And, and so I said, all right, God, you know, I'll do this. And he said, Lisa, I've called you to minister to women. And Christy, you would have thought he said, I am cutting off your arm. I was like, no, that is the worst idea ever. God, I don't like women. I don't really think I am one. God, I think like a man, I'm not going to be able to minister to women. And you're going to have to send me a mentor. And he didn't, he didn't say anything like, okay, that's a deal. He said nothing. And mm-hmm. so eight years later, I'm married. I'm pregnant with my third son. 
And my husband just, he tricked me into, he told me like at 1 a.m. that I was doing a women's <laughs> meeting the next morning. So he took the two boys out. I'm on my knees. I'm mad at this pastor I've never met. I'm furious with my husband. I'm, I'm mad at women. And I say, God, I don't like women. I don't like them. And he said, I do. He said, I love women. Mm. I created them as an answer. And he said, the things you don't like about women are the things I never created them to be. And he mm. said, and he said, I want you to pour into women. I said, this is a joke. No, nobody's poured into me. And he said, Lisa, I want you to be the woman that you were looking for. Mm. I said, I don't know how to be her. And he said, yes, you do. And I was like, no, I don't. He said, everything you wish another woman would have been to you these last eight years of marriage and motherhood and walking as a daughter of God, you begin to be right at backwards. So I sat in that dirty motel room and I wrote out how she would talk to me, how she would instruct me, how she would look at me, how she would cheerlead me, how she would redeem my failures, that she would be by my side rather than just on my side. I don't need somebody to side with me. I need somebody to walk with me. I need somebody to open up the treasury of their lives and say, hey, this is what I've learned the hard way. I don't want you to have to learn this same lessons. There'll be other ones for you to learn, but, but take the wisdom that was hard won by me on you with your journey instead of saying, gosh, I hope you figure it out. I, you know, I, I still, I still remember getting married and having, you know, older women look at me again, I'm in my early twenties and saying things like, well, you're happy now. You won't be wait till the honeymoon's over or <laughs> you lost your weight after the first baby. You're going to be fat after your second. I mean, I'm like, where do these come from? They're like, but these are women that are hurting. And yeah. so, we have this huge gap and God is asking you and I, will you be part of closing this gap? And when I looked up the meaning of the word gap, Mary Webster defines the word gap as a break in a barrier, such as a wall hedge or line of military defense mm -hmm. that leaves us in an assailable position. Mm -hmm. So, when we do not connect the older women with the younger women, both generations are in a vulnerable, assailable position. And I find so many older women think that the younger women do not want anything to do with them. They don't want the wisdom they've learned. And then I talk to the younger women and they think the older women can't be bothered. And so what happens is we have peer-to-peer -peer connections, mm -hmm. but you know what? When I was a young mother talking to my friends about the craziness of having four boys, that was, that was sympathy, but that wasn't wisdom. I mean, they, we would all be like, yeah, this crazy. I'm crazy. Yeah, our husbands are crazy. I needed an older woman to say, <laughs> why is it crazy? Let me tell you how to change that season. Let me give you just a couple practical things. And so a 20-year-old girl can be a godmother for a 15-year-old. And a 30-year-old can be a godmother for a 20-year-old. And an 80-year-old can be a godmother for whoever the heck she wants to be because she's got <laughs> a long line of learning. 
I love it so much. Um, but what does this look like? Like, what's a practical step for us if we want a godmother? If we maybe feel that stirring that we're to be one, what is a good practical step for us, especially in the year 2020? <laughs> exactly. Well, the first thing I think everybody needs to know is there is no such thing as a perfect godmother or someone who knows everything. Uh, Jill Churchill said there is no way to be a perfect mother. So that just cancels all the motherhood perfection guilt and a million ways to be a good one. And so I think just saying, all right, I, I feel my heart stirring. I see the need. Maybe you're, you're 25 and you're saying, I, I see the need. I need an older woman to speak into my life. I didn't get what I needed from my mom. I'm not getting what I needed from my peers. I'm going to ask you to actually just pray and say, Holy Spirit, show me a woman. Show me a woman who is walking ahead of me. And maybe it's many because there might be that woman who's parenting the way you want to parent your kids. There might be another woman whose marriage is you're like, that's what I want to build. Or you, it might be a single woman who is just full on pursuing everything that God has in her life, whether that is something in a professional realm, such as, you know, doctor, lawyer, you know, teacher, whatever that is, or if that is something, and I don't want to make it like ministries, not professional, but I, mm -hmm. I hate saying secular or something in a ministry realm, or maybe it's just someone who you're, you've got some triggers in your life and you find out that you're frozen and you need somebody to just help you move forward. So I'm just going to dare you to ask a, an older woman to mm -hmm. come alongside of you and just you know, tell her, say, I'm not looking for a 13-week Bible study. I just need somebody to open up your house. Let, let them in. Let them be organic. Let them do life with you. Life isn't sitting down and just teaching. Life mm -hmm. is doing. It's doing it together. So that would be what a younger woman would do. I've had younger women reach out to me and I'll say, how can I help you? I don't just start dumping on them. I'll just say, how can I help you? And they'll say things like, you know, I'm having a really rough time. I expected to be married by now. Or I'm having a really rough time in my job or with my children or with my husband. I don't know what I'm called to do. And, you know, just those kind of conversations. And then if you're an older woman, I want you to know these daughters, they're hiding in the open. I mean, they're at the grocery store struggling with their kids in the car. They are in your neighborhood pushing a stroller and you don't come up to them and say, heck, you need a godmother. Your life's a mess. That's not what we do. We, again, we develop a relationship and we bless what they're doing well and we help them understand how to move forward in growth, not guilt. Mm -hmm. and, and so one of the things that I think is the kind of the mandate of a godmother is Matthew chapter five, verse nine. Now in the King James, it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Now see right there, this is what I want to be called. I want, I want somebody to have a contact with me. I know this is also your heart and say, whoa, whoa, I, I just feel like I was with somebody that has a God given birthright, a child of God. Not even just, oh, it's a Christian, a child of God. What kind of designation is that? But I love how the message paraphrase 
takes that and makes it super practical. So I guess this would be kind of what godmother should do. It says you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. So, so many people are like, I don't know my place. I don't know my calling. When you actually help other people, you discover who you are and your place in God's family. Thank you so much for joining us today for the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I hope you'll check out Lisa's book, Godmothers. It's available now everywhere you order books. Also, if you'd like to be a patron of this podcast, simply visit patreon.com slash Christy Knuckles for more information. I would love for you to join our community and would cherish your support as I continue to help people find the glorious things of God right in the middle of the mundane. I'll talk to you soon.